Chapter Thirteen, Section One of the Night Side of Nature, or Ghosts and Ghost Seers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by S. E. Ross, Bernie, Texas. The Night Side of Nature, or Ghosts and ghost seers by catherine crow chapter thirteen section one haunted houses everybody has heard of haunted houses and there is no country and scarcely any place in which something of the sort is not known or talked of and i suppose there is no one who in the course of their travels has not seen very respectable good-looking houses shut up and uninhabited because they had this evil reputation assigned to them i have seen several such for my own part and it is remarkable that this mala fama does not always by any means attach itself to buildings one would imagine most obnoxious to such a suspicion for example i have never heard of a ghost being seen or heard in haddon hall the most ghostly of houses nor in many other antique mysterious-looking buildings where one might expect them while sometimes a house of a very prosaic aspect remains uninhabited and is ultimately allowed to fall to ruin for no other reason we are told than that nobody can live in it i remember in my childhood such a house in kent i think it was on the road between maidstone and tunbridge which had this reputation there was nothing dismal about it it was neither large nor old, and it stood on the borders of a well-frequented road. Yet I was assured it had stood empty for years, and as long as I lived in that part of the country it never had an inhabitant, and I believe it was finally pulled down, and all for no other reason than that it was haunted, and nobody could live in it. I have frequently heard of people, while travelling on the continent, getting into houses at a rent so low as to surprise them and i have moreover frequently heard of very strange things occurring while they were there i remember for instance a family of the name of s s who obtained a very handsome house at a most agreeably cheap rate somewhere on the coast of italy i think it was at mola de gaeta they lived very comfortably in it till one day while mrs s s was sitting in the drawing-room which opened into a balcony overhanging the sea she saw a lady dressed in white pass along before the windows which were all closed concluding it was one of her daughters who had been accidentally shut out she arose and opened the window to allow her to enter but on looking out to her amazement there was nobody there although there was no possible escape from the balcony unless by jumping into the sea on mentioning this circumstance to somebody in the neighborhood they were told that that was the reason they had the house so cheap nobody liked to live in it i have heard of several houses even in populous cities to which some strange circumstance of this sort is attached some in london even and some in this city and neighborhood and what is more unaccountable things actually do happen to those who inhabit them 
doors are strangely opened and shut, a rustling of silk and sometimes a whispering, and frequently footsteps are heard. There is a house in Ayrshire to which this sort of thing has been attached for years, insomuch that it was finally abandoned to an old man and woman who said they were so used to it that they did not mind it. A distinguished authoress told me that some time ago she passed a night at the house of an acquaintance in one of the Midland counties of England. She and her sister occupied the same room, and in the night they heard someone ascending the stairs. The foot came distinctly to the door, then turned away, ascended the next flight, and they heard it overhead. In the morning, on being asked if they had slept well, they mentioned this circumstance. "'That is what everybody hears who sleeps in that room,' said the lady of the house. "'Many a time I have, when sleeping there, drawn up the night-bolt, persuaded that the nurse was bringing the baby to me, but there was nobody to be seen. We have taken every pains to ascertain what it is, but in vain, and are now so used to it that we have ceased to care about the matter. I know of two or three other houses in this city, and one in the neighborhood, in which circumstances of this nature are transpiring, or have transpired, very lately. But people hush them up, from the fear of being laughed at, and also from an apprehension of injuring the character of a house, on which account I do not dwell on the particulars. But there was, some time since, a fama of this kind attached to a house in St. J. Street, some of the details of which became very public. It had stood empty a long time, in consequence of the annoyances to which the inhabitants had been subjected. There was one room, particularly, which nobody could occupy without disturbance. On one occasion, a youth who had been abroad a considerable time, either in the army or navy, was put there to sleep on his arrival, since, knowing nothing of these reports, it was hoped his rest might not be interrupted. In the morning, however, he complained of the dreadful time he had had, with people looking in at him between the curtains of his bed all night, avowing his resolution to terminate his visit that same day, as he would not sleep there any more. After this period, the house stood empty again for a considerable time, but was at length taken, and workmen sent in to repair it. One day, when the men were away at dinner, the master tradesman took the key and went to inspect progress. And having examined the lower rooms, he was ascending the stairs when he heard a man's foot behind him. He looked round, but there was nobody there, and he moved on again. Still, there was somebody following, and he stopped and looked over the rails, but there was no one to be seen. So, although feeling rather queer, he advanced into the drawing-room, where a fire had been lighted, and, wishing to combat the uncomfortable sensation that was creeping over him, he took hold of a chair, and drawing it resolutely along the floor, he slammed it down upon the hearth with some force, and seated himself in it. When, to his amazement, the action, in all its particulars of sound, was immediately repeated by his unseen companion, 
who seemed to seat himself beside him on a chair as invisible as himself horror struck the worthy builder started up and rushed out of the house there is a house in s street in london which having stood empty a good while was at length taken by lord b the family were annoyed by several unpleasant occurrences and by the sound of footsteps which were often audible especially in lady b's bedroom who though she could not see the form was occasionally conscious of its immediate proximity some time since a gentleman having established himself in a lodging in london felt the first night he slept there that the clothes were being dragged off his bed he fancied he had done it himself in his sleep and pulled them on again but it happens repeatedly he gets out of bed each time can find nobody no string no possible explanation nor can obtain any from the people of the house who only seem distressed and annoyed on mentioning it to some one in the neighborhood he is informed that the same thing has occurred to several preceding occupants of the lodging which of course he left the circumstances that happened at newhouse in hampshire as detailed by mr barham in the third volume of the ingoldsby legends are known to be perfectly authentic as are the following the account of which i have received from a highly respectable servant residing in a family with whom i am well acquainted she informs me that she was not very long since living with a colonel and mrs w who being at carlisle engaged a furnished house which they obtained at an exceedingly cheap rate because nobody liked to live in it this family however met with no annoyance and attached no importance to the rumor which had kept the house empty there were however two rooms in it wholly unfurnished and as the house was large they were dispensed with till the recurrence of the race week when expecting company these two rooms were temporarily fitted up for the use of the nurses and children there were heavy venetian blinds to the windows and in the middle of the night the person who related the circumstance to me was awakened by the distinct sound of these blinds being pulled up and down with violence perhaps as many as twenty times the fire had fallen low and she could not see whether they were actually moved or not but lay trembling in indescribable terror presently feet were heard in the room and a stamping as if several men were moving about without stockings while lying in this state of agony she was comforted by hearing the voice of a nurse who slept in another bed in the same chamber exclaiming the lord have mercy on us this second woman then asked the first if she had courage to get out of bed and stir up the fire so that they might be able to see which by a great effort she did the chimney being near her bed there was however nothing to be discovered everything being precisely as when they went to bed on another occasion when they were sitting in the evening at work they distinctly heard some one counting money and the chink of the pieces as they were laid down the sound proceeded from the inner room of the two but there was nobody there this family left the house and though a large and commodious one she understood it remained unoccupied 
as before. A respectable citizen of Edinburgh, not long ago, went to America to visit his son who had married and settled there. The morning after his arrival, he declared his determination to return immediately to Philadelphia, from which the house was at a considerable distance. And on being interrogated as to the cause of this sudden departure, he said that in the previous night he had heard a man walking about his room, who had approached the bed, drawn back the curtains, and bent over him. Thinking it was somebody who had concealed himself there with ill intentions, he had struck out violently at the figure, when to his horror his arm passed unimpeded through it. Other extraordinary things happened in that house, which had the reputation of being haunted, although the son had not believed it, and had therefore not mentioned the report to the father. One day the children said they had been running after such a queer thing in the cellar. It was like a goat, and not like a goat, but it seemed to be like a shadow. A few years ago some friends of mine were taking a house in this city when the servants of the people who were leaving advised them not to have anything to do with it, for that there was a ghost in it that screamed dreadfully, and that they never could keep a stitch of clothes on them at night. The bed coverings were always pulled off. My friends laughed heartily and took the house, but the cries and groans all over it were so frequent that they at length got quite used to them. It is to be observed that the house was a flat, or floor, shut in, so that there could be no draughts of air nor access for tricks. Besides, it was a woman's voice, sometimes close to their ears, sometimes in a closet, sometimes behind their beds, in short, in all directions. Everybody heard it that went to the house. The tenant that succeeded them, however, has never been troubled with it. The story of the brown lady at the Marquis of Tees in Norfolk is known to many. The Honorable H. W. told me that a friend of his, while staying there, had often seen her, and had one day inquired of his host, Who was that lady in brown that he had met frequently on the stairs? Two gentlemen, whose names were mentioned to me, resolved to watch for her and intercept her. They at length saw her, but she eluded them by turning down a staircase, and when they looked over, she had disappeared. Many persons have seen her. There is a Scotch family of distinction who, I am told, are accompanied by an unseen attendant, whom they call Spinning Jenny. She is heard spinning in their house in the country, and when they come into town she spins here. Servants and all hear the sound of her wheel. I believe she accompanies them no further than to their own residences, not to those of other people. Jenny is supposed to be a former housemaid of the family, who was a great spinner, and they are so accustomed to her presence as to feel it no annoyance. The following very singular circumstance was related to me by the daughter of the celebrated Mrs. S. Mrs. S. and her husband were traveling into Wales, and had occasion to stop on their way some days at Oswestry. There they established themselves in a lodging, to reach the door of which they had to go down a sort of close or passage. The only inhabitants of the house were the mistress, a very handsome woman, and two maids. 
and two maids. Mr. and Mrs. S., however, very soon had occasion to complain of the neglected state of the rooms, which were apparently never cleaned or dusted, though, strange to say, to judge by their own ears, the servants were doing nothing else all night, their sleep being constantly disturbed by the noise of rubbing, sweeping, and the moving of furniture. When they complained to these servants of the noise in the night, and the dirt of the rooms, they answered that the noise was not made by them, and that it was impossible for them to do their work, exhausted as they were by sitting up all night with their mistress, who could not bear to be alone when she was in bed. Mr. and Mrs. S. afterward discovered that she had her room lighted up every night, and one day, as they were returning from a walk, and she happened to be going down the close before them, they heard her saying, as she turned her head sharply from side to side, "'Are you there again? What the devil? Go away, I tell you!' etc., etc. On applying to the neighbors for an explanation of these mysteries, the good people only shook their heads, and gave mysterious answers. Mr. and Mrs. S., afterward, learned that she was believed to have murdered a girl who formerly lived in her service. There is nothing in the conduct of this unhappy woman which may not be perfectly well accounted for by the supposition of a guilty conscience, but the noises heard by Mr. and Mrs. S. at night are curiously in accordance with a variety of similar stories, wherein this strange visionary repetition of the trivial actions of daily life, or of some particular incident, has been observed. The affair of Lord St. Vincent's was of this nature, and there is somewhere extant an account of the ghost of Peter the Great of Russia having appeared to Dr. Dopelio, complaining to him of the sufferings he endured from having to act over again his former cruelties. A circumstance, which exhibits a remarkable coincidence with the Glasgow dream, mentioned in a preceding chapter. We must, of course, attach a symbolical meaning to these phenomena, and conclude that these reactings are somewhat of the nature of our dreams. Certainly there would need no stronger motive to induce us to spend the period allotted to us on earth in those pure and innocent pleasures and occupations which never weary or sicken the soul than the belief that such a future awaits us. A family in one of the English counties was a few years ago terribly troubled by an unseen inmate who chiefly seemed to inhabit a large cellar into which there was no entrance except the door which was kept locked. Here there would be a loud knocking, sometimes a voice crying, heavy feet walking, etc., etc. At first the old trustworthy butler would summon his acolytes and descend, armed with a sword and blunderbuss, but no one was to be seen. They could often hear the feet following them upstairs from this cellar, and once, when the family had determined to watch, they found themselves accompanied upstairs not only by the sound of the feet, but by a visible, shadowy companion. They rushed up, flew to their chamber and shut the door, when instantly they felt and saw the handle turned in their hand by a hand outside. Windows and doors were opened in spite of locks and keys, 
but notwithstanding the most persevering investigations the only clue to the mystery was the appearance of that spectral figure the knockings and sounds of people at work asserted to be heard in mines is a fact maintained by many very sensible men overseers and superintendents etc as well as by the workmen themselves and there is a strong persuasion i know among the miners of cornwall and those of mendip that these visionary workmen are sometimes heard among them on which occasions the horses evince their apprehensions by trembling and sweating but as i have no means of verifying these reports i do not dwell upon them further when the mother of george canning then mrs hun was an actress in the provinces she went among other places to plymouth having previously requested her friend mr bernard of the theatre to procure her a lodging on her arrival mr b told her that if she was not afraid of a ghost she might have a comfortable residence at a very low rate for there is said he a house belonging to our carpenter that is reported to be haunted and nobody will live in it if you like to have it you may and for nothing i believe for he is so anxious to get a tenant only you must not let it be known that you do not pay rent for it mrs hun alluding to the theatrical apparitions said it would not be the first time she had had to do with a ghost and that she was very willing to encounter this one so she had her luggage taken to the house in question and the bed prepared at her usual hour she sent her maid and her children to bed and curious to see if there was any foundation for the rumor she had heard she seated herself with a couple of candles and a book to watch the event beneath the room she occupied was the carpenter's workshop which had two doors the one which opened into the street was barred and bolted within the other a smaller one opening into the passage was only on the latch and the house was of course closed for the night she had read something more than half an hour when she perceived a noise issuing from this lower apartment which sounded very much like the sawing of wood presently other such noises as usually proceed from a carpenter's workshop were added till by and by there was a regular concert of knocking and hammering and sawing and planing etc the whole sounding like half a dozen busy men in full employment being a woman of considerable courage mrs hun resolved if possible to penetrate the mystery so taking off her shoes that her approach might not be heard with her candle in her hand she very softly opened her door and descended the stairs the noise continuing as loud as ever and evidently proceeding from the workshop till she opened the door when instantly all was silent all was still not a mouse was stirring and the tools and the wood and everything else lay as they had been left by the workmen when they went away having examined every part of the place and satisfied herself that there was nobody there and that nobody could get into it mrs hun ascended to her room again beginning almost to doubt her own senses and question with herself whether she had really heard the noise or not when it recommenced and continued without intermission 
for about half an hour. She, however, went to bed, and the next day told nobody what had occurred, having determined to watch another night before mentioning the affair to any one. As, however, the strange scene was acted over again, without her being able to discover the cause of it, she now mentioned the circumstance to the owner of the house and to her friend Bernard, and the former, who would not believe it, agreed to watch with her, which he did. The noise began as before, and he was so horror-struck that, instead of entering the workshop as she wished him to do, he rushed into the street. Mrs. Hunn continued to inhabit the house the whole summer, and when referring afterward to the adventure, she observed that use was second nature, and that she was sure if any night these ghostly carpenters had not pursued their visionary labors, she should have been quite frightened, lest they should pay her a visit upstairs. From many recorded cases, I find the vulgar belief that buried money is frequently the cause of these disturbances is strongly borne out by facts. This certainly does seem to us very strange, and can only be explained by the hypothesis suggested that the soul awakes in the other world in exactly the same state in which it quitted this. In the above-mentioned instances of what are called haunted houses, there is generally nothing seen, but those are equally abundant where the ghostly visitor is visible. Two young ladies were passing the night in a house in the north, when the youngest, then a child, awoke and saw an old man in a Kilmarnock nightcap walking about their bedroom. She said, when telling the story in afterlife, that she was not the least frightened, she was only surprised. But she found that her sister, who was several years older than herself, was in a state of great terror. He continued some time moving about and at last went to a chest of drawers, where there lay a parcel of buttons belonging to a travelling tailor who had been at work in the house. Whether the old man threw them down or not she could not say, but just then they all fell rattling off the drawers to the floor, whereupon he disappeared. The next morning, when they mentioned the circumstance, she observed that the family looked at each other in a significant manner, but it was not till she was older she learned that the house was said to be haunted by this old man. "'It never occurred to me,' she said, "'that it was a ghost. Who would have thought of a ghost in a Kilmarnock nightcap?' At the Leipzig Fair lodgings are often very scarce, and on one occasion a stranger who had arrived late in the evening had some difficulty in finding a bed. At length he found a vacant chamber in the house of a citizen. It was one they made no use of, but they said he was welcome to it. And, weary and sleepy, he gladly accepted the offer. Fatigued as he was, however, he was disturbed by some unaccountable noises, of which he complained to his hosts in the morning. They pacified him by some excuses, but the next night, not long after he had gone to bed, he came downstairs in great haste, with his portmanteau on his shoulder, declaring he would not stay there another hour for the world, for that a lady, in a strange old-fashioned dress, had come into the room with a dagger in her hand, and made threatening gestures at him. 
he accordingly went away, and the room was shut up again, but some time afterward a servant-girl in the family of the citizen, being taken ill, they were obliged to put her into that room, in order to separate her from the rest of the family. Here she recovered her health rapidly, and as she had never complained of any annoyance, she was asked, when she was quite well, whether anything particular had happened while she inhabited that chamber. "'Oh, yes,' she answered. "'Every night there came a strange lady into the room, who sat herself on the bed and stroked me with her hand, and I believe it is to her I owe my speedy recovery, but I could never get her to speak to me. She only sighs and weeps.' Not very long since, a gentleman set out one fine midsummer's evening, when it is light all night in Scotland, to walk from Montrose to Brecon. As he approached a place called Dun, he observed a lady walking on before, which, from the lateness of the hour, somewhat surprised him. Sometime afterward, he was found by the early laborers lying on the ground, near the churchyard, in a state of insensibility. All he could tell them was that he had followed this lady till she had turned her head and looked round at him. When, seized with horror, he had fainted. "'Oh,' said they, "'you have seen the Lady of Dunn.' What is the legend attached to this Lady of Dunn? I do not know. Monsieur de S. had been violently in love with Hippolyte Clairon, the celebrated French actress, but she rejected his suit in so peremptory a manner that even when he was at the point of death she refused his earnest entreaties that she would visit him. Indignant at her cruelty, he declared that he would haunt her, and he certainly kept his word. I believe she never saw his ghost, but he appears to have been always near her. At least, on several occasions when other people doubted the fact, he signalized his presence at her bidding, by various sounds, and this wherever she happened to be at the moment. Sometimes it was a cry, at others a shot, and at others a clapping of hands or music. She seems to have been slow to believe in the extra-natural character of these noises, and even when she was ultimately convinced to have been divided between horror on the one hand, and diversion at the oddness of the circumstance on the other. The sounds were heard by everybody in her vicinity, and I am informed by Mr. Charles Kirkpatrick Sharp that the Margrave of Anspach, who was subsequently her lover, and Mr. Capel Craven, were perfectly well acquainted with the circumstances of this haunting, and entertained no doubt of the facts above alluded to. The ghost known by the designation of the White Lady, which is frequently seen in different castles or palaces belonging to the royal family of Prussia, has been mentioned in another publication, I think. She was long supposed to be a Countess Agnes of Orlemond, but a picture of a princess called Bertha, or Perchta von Rosenberg, discovered some time since, was thought so exceedingly to resemble the apparition that it is now a disputed point which of the two ladies it is, or whether it is or is not the same apparition that is seen at different places. Neither of these ladies appears to have been very happy in their lives. 
but the opinion of its being the Princess Bertha, who lived in the fifteenth century, was somewhat countenanced by the circumstance that at a period when, in consequence of the war, an annual benefit which she had bequeathed to the poor was neglected, the apparition seemed to be unusually disturbed, and was seen more frequently. She is often observed before a death, and one of the Fredericks said shortly before his decease that he should not live long, for he had met the white lady. She wears a widow's band and veil, but it is sufficiently transparent to show her features, which do not express happiness, but placidity. She has only been twice heard to speak. In December 1628, she appeared in the palace at Berlin, and was heard to say, Veni judica vivos et mortuos, judicium mihi adhuc superest. Come judge the quick and the dead. I wait for judgment. On the other occasion, which is more recent, one of the princesses at the castle of Newhouse in Bohemia was standing before a mirror, trying on a new headdress, when, on asking her waiting-maid what the hour was, the white lady suddenly stepped from behind a screen and said, Zen ur ist et ir liebden. It is ten o'clock, your love. Which is the mode in which the sovereign princes address each other, instead of your highness. The princess was much alarmed, soon fell sick, and died in a few weeks. She has frequently evinced displeasure at the exhibition of impiety or vice, and there are many records of her different appearances to be found in the works of Balbinus and Erasmus Francisci, and in a publication called The Iris, published in Frankfurt in 1819, the editor, George Doring, who is said to have been a man of great integrity, gives the following account of one of her later appearances, which he declares he received, just as he gives it, from the lips of his own mother, on whose word and judgment he could perfectly rely. And shortly before his death, an inquiry being addressed to him with regard to the correctness of the narration, he vouched for its authenticity. It seems that the elder sister of his mother was companion to one of the ladies of the court, and that the younger ones were in the habit of visiting her frequently. Two of these, Doring's mother and another, aged fourteen and fifteen, were once spending a week with her, when she being out, and they alone with their needlework, chattering about the court diversions, they suddenly heard the sound of a stringed instrument, like a harp, which seemed to proceed from behind a large stove that occupied one corner of the room. Half in fear and half in fun, one of the girls took a yard measure that lay beside them, and struck the spot, whereupon the music ceased, but the stick was wrested from her hand. She became alarmed, but the other, named Christina, laughed and said she must have fancied it, adding that the music doubtless proceeded from the street, though they could not descry any musicians. To get over her fright, of which she was half ashamed, the former now ran out of the room to visit a neighbor for a few minutes, but when she returned, she found Christina lying on the floor in a swoon, who on being revived with the aid of the attendants, who had heard a scream, related that no sooner had her sister left her 
then the sound was repeated close to the stove and a white figure had appeared and advanced toward her whereupon she had screamed and fainted the lady who owned the apartments flattered herself that this apparition betokened that a treasure was hidden under the stove and imposing silence on the girls she sent for a carpenter and had the planks lifted the floor was found to be double and below was a vault from which issued a very unwholesome vapour but no treasure was found nor anything but a quantity of quicklime the circumstance being now made known to the king he expressed no surprise he said that the apparition was doubtless that of the countess of orlamund who had been buried alive in that vault she was the mistress of a margrave of brandenburg by whom she had two sons when the prince became a widower she expected he would marry her but he urged as an objection that he feared in that case her sons might hereafter dispute the succession with the lawful heirs in order to remove this obstacle out of her way she poisoned the children and the margrave disgusted and alarmed had her walled up in that vault for her pains he added that she was usually seen every seven years and was preceded by the sound of a harp on which instrument she had been a proficient and also that she more frequently appeared to children than to adults as if the love she had denied her own offspring in life was now her torment and that she sought a reconciliation with childhood in general i know from the best authority that the fact of these appearances is not doubted by those who have the fullest opportunities of inquiry and investigation and i remember seeing in the english papers a few years since a paragraph copied from the foreign journals to the effect that the white lady had been seen again i think at berlin end of chapter thirteen section one recording by s e ross bernie texas